This is Father Aaron with another podcast. I'm not sure if you've heard, but it's an election year. The Catechism of the Catholic Church teaches us that it is the duty of citizens to contribute along with the civil authorities to the good of society in a spirit of truth, justice, solidarity, and freedom. The love and service of one's country follow from the duty of gratitude and belong to the order of charity. Submission to authority and co-responsibility for the common good make it morally obligatory to pay taxes, to exercise the right to vote, and to defend one's country. Our duty to assist in government descends from the order of charity, as the Catechism teaches. In other words, taking part in the governing of our country, voting, speaking up for the truth, defending justice and human dignity, these acts are in obedience to our Lord's command to love. It is an act of love to our neighbor to promote the good of our country and therefore of her citizens. So while it may seem like a safe route out here in the middle of nowhere, Mississippi, to continue our day-to-day lives unaffected by what happens in Washington, we have a moral duty to see to the good of this nation. Furthermore, our participation in governing is an act of obedience to the authority of Christ, who is our one true king, as foretold by the prophet Zechariah in our first reading. We have an obligation as Christian citizens to see that not only is our neighbor treated well, but that the reign of Christ and his holy law is made manifest in our country through her laws and policies. There is a risk in democracies to misunderstand love and charity toward our neighbor as removing any restrictions which law may impose upon them. Democracies give the majority an ability to rewrite cultural morality. And a democracy is precisely that, the rule of a majority. Democracies, by their very nature, shun the good of minorities. Which is why, though the Church has historically tolerated democracies, she has never formally supported them. The Church, indeed, creation itself, is not a democracy, but an absolute monarchy ordered under Christ, who is our one true King. 
but as we are citizens of a democracy, we have a duty to participate in that government in the ways we are able, so as to promote the divine law of God in these United States. This will mean that, especially in the modern world, we will perpetually be at odds with society. Culture today has accepted wholesale the doctrine of relativism, the concept that there is no ultimate truth, no ultimate moral code. Robert Cardinal Serra writes, In a relativistic system, all ways are possible, like fragmentary components of the march of progress. The common good, from this perspective, is the product of a continual dialogue of everyone, a meeting of different private opinions, a fraternal Tower of Babel in which everybody has a particle of the truth. Modern relativism goes as far as to claim that it is the embodiment of liberty. In this sense, liberty becomes the aggressive obligation to believe that there is no higher truth. In this new Eden, if anyone rejects the truths revealed by Christ, he becomes free. Right now, American society is rising up in response to an awareness of the many ways our nation's policies and practices have not always supported the equal dignity of human beings. There is something far greater here than a reaction to the killing of George Floyd, for example. We are all aware of ways in which we do not respect the dignity of others. And it is good for our nation as a whole to acknowledge that, and even more to put measures in place to prevent these acts in the future, and to promote liberty and equality. But there is a real danger that, as Cardinal Sarah notes, we will mistake liberty as the complete toleration of anyone's personal choices. I like his last phrase in that quotation I read above. Liberty becomes the aggressive obligation to believe that there is no higher truth. We are definitely seeing across this nation the embodiment of an aggressive tendency to condemn and ridicule any way of thinking which infers that there may actually be a moral code, that some acts and some ways of life are never permitted. We have put the labels of oppressive, offensive, and intolerant on anyone who proposes that there is evil and sin. And this complicates our life in a democratic society where citizens are meant to cast votes in favor of candidates who will support the moral law and establish justice. The media and the culture today propose the ideal candidate as the one who doesn't see right and wrong, but simply acknowledges both paths as matters of personal choice, as if the perfection of humankind is found in following impulses. Cardinal Sauer writes in another work, in this wayward development, individual freedom is the only criterion, and personal satisfaction the only objective. If man wants to put an end to his life, he can. If man wants to become a woman, he can. If a girl wants to prostitute herself on the internet, she can. If an adolescent wants to look at pornography on the internet, he can. If a woman wants to abort her child, she can. It is their right. Everything is possible. Don't give in to this ideology. You are not in the flesh, writes St. Paul. On the contrary, you are in the Spirit. The law of God is liberating precisely because it frees us to be holy. It enables us to be holy, which is our true end and purpose. And so when it comes to the polls, we have a duty to seek the liberty which comes from God by voting from, for politicians who are most likely to promote Christian liberty. It is important to say, however, that because man is fallen and sinful, it is likely the case that there will never be a perfect candidate. In most circumstances, we are still morally obliged to vote, but with a determination for the good of society. In these cases, St. Thomas Aquinas can be of assistance to us. He proposes a way of determining difficult moral actions 
which we will term which we term the principle of double effect. In such a case, a morally neutral action can bring about two opposing ends, one for good and one for evil. How are we to decide? He gives us four qualifications. The first is that the action we are considering must either be morally good or morally indifferent. In this case, we are considering voting, which we have already outlined as a moral good. The second is that the potential bad outcome cannot be directly intended by us. So when considering a candidate, we know that both of these candidates propose policies which tend toward moral evils. We know that no party aligns totally with the church's teachings. And so in voting, we must be sure that we are not choosing to support these evil policies. This is different than tolerating them. If we vote for a candidate who promotes a morally evil policy, we should be vocal about that policy in the aftermath. But in order to meet this second criterion, we cannot intend this evil policy from the start. The third requirement is that the potential good result cannot be the direct outcome of the bad result. So, if we are aware of a morally evil policy that a candidate is promoting, but we think that promoting that policy could, down the road, also bring about a good, we still cannot support them for the sake of that potential good. We cannot intend to do evil in hopes that good may come from it. And finally, the evil outcome must not be disproportionate to the good outcome. And this is most likely where the largest consideration will need to be given in both of these candidates. Again, we know that neither is perfect. But there are some very significant issues, human rights, the right to life, the dignity of marriage and the family. These are great moral issues which are not as weighty as economic or military policies, for example. When we consider the platforms of either candidate, we must be sure that the good things they seek to promote are not overshadowed by an entire platform of wicked plans. We cannot choose our votes based on a pet policy of ours. We have to truly consider the weight of the options. So I'm sure I can can consider these policies at a later moment. For now, I believe I've remained necessarily vague, but with these points in mind, you can now be equipped to begin considering your vote.